Welcome to the latest episode of Chamber Chatter, the podcast series from Greater Manchester Chamber of Commerce, looking at business issues in a bit more detail. I'm Chris Fletcher, Policy and Communications Director at the Chamber, and I'm really pleased today to be catching up with Wayne Jones OBE, Member of Executive Board, Global Sales and After Sales, MAN Energy Solutions. And we're going to look at an issue that's increasingly affecting not just businesses, but everyday life, and that is net zero and the move to a low carbon economy. Wayne, welcome. It's great to have you uh, have you with us today. Great to see you, Chris. Good stuff. Now, just a little bit, really, I suppose, about your role uh, at, at uh, MAN and a, and a bit of background about yourself as well, just for, for people listening, because you've got a really good story to tell haven't you, about, <laughs> about where, where you've come from and where you are now. So, sure. Yeah, yeah so... Um, I did a, a sort of unconventional route, I guess, to a board. So I started as an apprentice, so I did an apprenticeship, um, did my degree, day release, which I think is a great opportunity. You still get paid, you're still connected into the organisation, etc. Went overseas for a bit, was in Norway, was in the Middle East, uh, and then sort of progressed through engineering functions, projects, all kinds of things, and then found my home a little bit, I think, in like an after-sales business. So... Then joined MAN 2005 from a, a Swiss company called Salsa. Did a big restructuring program, which, uh, yeah, I learned a huge amount about during that time. And then was lucky enough to sort of lead the global after-sales business. So that was uh, that was a, a positive thing because that wasn't about restructuring. It was about growth, though. I think at the time we took the business from about 650 million to 1.2 billion in three years. So it was really an exciting story. And then got the chance to be the first Brit on the the oldest industrial company in Germany. So MAN Diesel uh, and Turbo is called then, part of the Volkswagen Group. Yeah, and that sort of took me where I am today. So I've been on the board now for, yeah, for five years now. Yeah. And that is something, isn't it? Like you said, it's, it, we, we, I've known you for probably a decade or so and got used to saying it, but somebody listening to that, that really is a big achievement. The, the first Britain on, on, on that board is, is something that's uh, yeah, to be really yeah, proud of, you know. I don't think about it so much, but I guess it is, and uh, and it is a it's a very well established German company. There's no doubt, but it's it's very international, which which is one thing that that pleases me. And I think it's good to have a board that's a bit more diverse. And I think uh, you know we we should continue with diversity as a strength rather than uh, you know just sticking with all German boards on German company and all British boards on British companies. Yeah, so. um, absolutely great, uh, great, great story there. And, and obviously one of the big things we're going to be talking about today is this whole sort of low carbon uh, net zero agenda. But why is it so important? It's something that we're, we're hearing more and more about, but why, why is it just so important? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you can even go back, let's say, four or five years where I think probably the world was in doubt and there was people saying, yeah, it's not really true. And this was just a, a seasonal thing. But I think there's there's probably no doubt now and uh, that, you know, there is something happening to our climate. And I think, that, you know, it's absolutely crucial that we make decisions now. We're probably, you could argue, maybe even a little bit too late to correct some of the things we've done. You know, and I think there's a simple phrase we should we should leave the world in a better place than we found it kind of phrase. Yeah. And I think um, there's so many examples, you know, everyday examples where, you know, reservoirs are drying up or flash floods or crazy temperatures, ice cap melting, that there's no doubt that it's it's going to be super critical, maybe not for this generation, but for generations to come. Yeah. I think that's the key thing. Yeah. Excellent. And, and, 
linked in with that is 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 the company that you work for and yeah. energy solutions and obviously the name itself you know obviously there's been a, a significant step forward to reflect the importance yeah. of, uh, of, of net zero within that and i guess there, there has like i said been that journey hasn't there really with within the company itself if you could just shed a little bit of light on on that really and, and the approach that the company takes now to to that issue of, of low carbon and net zero yeah so yeah so i think i joined the board in january 2016 and i was absolutely convinced that we needed to do something different i mean I've always been interested in change management and been at London Business School, all kinds of things. And it's been fascinating to, to look at changing things, you know. And I was, you know, really worried at the time thinking, you know, we're the biggest diesel engine manufacturer in the world. Yeah. And, you know, we started talking about our strategy. And of course, strategy typically in our world back then, you're talking out to, to 2030, you know, back in 2016. And you think, 2030, what does the world look like now? You can only imagine much change in the last 10 years dramatically for us. What's it going to look like in the next you know, 20 years? I mean, so so we started, you know, really looking at our strategy and saying, hey, this is not sustainable. You know, first of all, there was a, a commercial issue. Our products were being commoditized. OK, you know, highest efficiency diesel engine kind of so what from the customer You're still the most expensive, you know, big pressure as other companies have from China and from other locations. So. We did a massive relook into our strategy, and, and and that included our product portfolio, our locations, and even our name. So we were called MAN Diesel and Turbo at the time. Changed the name to MAN Solutions. Sounds simple, but however, however, in 1897, Rudolf Diesel invented guess what? The diesel engine, and he was working for MAN when he did that. And we have a we have a plaque inside our, our production facility in Augsburg showing the exact site where this engine first ran. So huge cultural things. And, and you know, I remember standing up in front of the entire workforce, 4,200 people. And I knew on slide three was the new name and slide one and two was explaining the journey. But of course, you still have to press the button, Chris, for yeah. slide three, don't you? <laughs> and, uh, and it wasn't greeted with round, you know, massive applause, as you can maybe imagine. And yeah. lots of issues about, you know, this is what happens when you don't have a German on the board who don't understand our culture and manufacturing and all kinds of things. It wasn't about nationality, it was about sustainability. Yeah? So, so this was a start to give a message internally and externally that there's something different. Um, okay, alongside, we, we have to do some, uh, and we're in the process of doing some fairly difficult cost reduction exercise, but you know, that's like, you know, also about sustainable for the future. But then we redeveloped our entire product range, our product portfolio, which is, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. And, and now we're the, we're the biggest gas engine company in the world, which is yeah. quite a, a massive achievement. And, and of course, within that, there's a transition. So you talk about an engine that's a dual fuel. So today it runs on heavy fuel oil. In the future, it'll run on gas, but still a massive shift into, into transforming the company. Yeah? And, you know, order intake strong, the, we're growing we're, we're more profitable than we were last year our volumes probably will be the second all-time high in 25 years so you know i am not saying that it, it worked it works 100 of the time but it's about direction and it's about it's about progress not perfection yeah i think yeah. that's the, the thing and we're not finished yet and of course we we still have obstacles in front of us but the directions i think the key thing in leadership to to make this change happen in terms of uh, the environment, yeah. yeah. 
so important. And it's a great, great story about the slide three bit, you know, and getting to it and, and making that change, you know. And yeah. uh, it's it's it sounds positive uh, on the back of that. You, you mentioned there about leadership, and and obviously, you know, the journey of the company itself, and and obviously your involvement in that. Mm. We're recording this a couple of weeks after the ending of uh, of, of the COP26 uh, conference. Seems like an awful long time ago yeah. now, um, with everything else that's, that's currently going on. But I know you you played a, a, a quite a large part in, in in some of the events and things that were going on there, and you attended. Uh, what, yeah. what was your sort of impression? What 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 was it like? So I've spoken to a couple of people now, and you get different sort of. Sure stories from people and different impressions of whatever what what was your take on on cop 26 and your experience of it yeah i mean of course i think it it was quite a pivotal moment to be honest with you because you know you know okay it's not the first cop we know this died way back in kyoto and then there was the paris agreement but and i I don't necessarily think this is about strong leadership i think it's about a little bit of an embarrassment where you know all of a sudden everybody's known for years what's coming and and you know you could argue who's done anything about it kind of discussion so I think there was a lot of political pressure that said hey what have you done since the Paris agreement and you know are we really going to be able to hit that so I think that was one of the you know standing points for me um I, I was there talking about the shipping industry we we can you know we, we've got the technology already to dramatically change the shipping industry the shipping industry is responsible for about three percent of the global co2 emissions so if it was a country the size of germany and the technology is there now we can run engines on methanol we can run engines on in the future ammonia but it needs legislation and regulation and strong leadership to push it forward so if you don't have a co2 levy guess what you you the commercial model doesn't work and people just carry on so it's about you know, leadership and driving that transition um, quickly and efficiently, but also having an understanding that if, if you don't create legislation, then unfortunately something won't happen. And I think um, I talked about three things, implementation, 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 because, you know, if the technology is there, which we've invested a huge amount of internal uh, money to do that, which is only right to our business, but now it needs it needs moving and at the moment there is pilot projects but they're self-funded so the people big companies that say yeah we're going to be green they're driving it basically with their own investment and and that that will only always be a fraction of the story we need to do bigger bigger things and that needs strong political leadership and strong regulation yeah and the actual outcome of, of cop 26 itself for this you know, this new phrase that we'll all start using, this phasing down bit of, of yeah. everything. Do you think that, that sort of hit the mark or, or did it yeah. at least start start that journey off, as it yeah. were? Maybe we've got to wait till COP27 to uh, to complete it. Yeah. I mean, the famous was, you know, from fame, from phasing out to, to phasing down, wasn't it? You know, and I think, of course, it was never going to be 100% successful. I think that was, you know, no, nobody was ever going to be fully happy with it. But um, but I think generally directionally and maybe because people have really rec- recognised what did we do since last time and the question is not much. Yeah? So I think it's it's another step. Whether that step's large enough, well, you know, the, the proof's in the pudding, as they say, isn't it? You know, now it's about making decisions and pushing forward those changes because that really takes strong leadership to do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll see. Time will tell, no doubt. I think, tell Chris, yeah. I, think, I think people are a little bit more more in tune with this stuff. Now. Yeah, certainly the, 
the level of uh, the level of coverage in the press and the media is is far greater than than a lot of other things that have happened happened uh, recently. I want to take you back now to to the sort of day job, uh, where yeah. and, and and obviously. Um, there's been some, you know, really good recent initiatives from from MAN, and I know you mentioned, for example, there about the the you know the new gas engines and things like that. Yeah. But you're also looking across a, another wide range of, of issues as well, and some yeah. not that far away from where we're sat today in in, in yeah, Manchester sure. either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we just explain a little bit about that because I, I find these sort of things really fascinating because what they do is they bring it all to life and they just Absolutely. show people. A, what's actually happening, and, and B, you know how this is so beneficial for, yeah. uh, for for what we're talking about. So yeah, I mean maybe linking the three areas. So the first area working is the marine, as I mentioned, and you know talking about the emissions, etc. The only way to decarbonize that industry is to decarbonize the fuel. You know, batteries won't work on on, on vessels that are taking twenty thousand containers across the ocean. So you need to, you know, and you need to accept there's a transition. So, you know, for example, LNG isn't the, the solution. So, you know, liquid natural gas, but it's a step forward. It gives you 20% saving on CO2, et cetera, et cetera. Then you move to synthetic natural gas, then you'll move to methanol, ammonia, whatever it will be. So, and, and we pay a big part in, in, in areas like that. And then if you look at the power industry, of course, everybody will say, oh, we've got renewables, you know, we've got wind turbines, we've got solar, we've got, yeah, which is great and absolutely the way forward, you know. But what happens when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining? <laughs> it's not as efficient as it could be. So you need a storage solution. And, and there's clever ways that we've developed. And, and I said the most interesting one is the recent one in Carrington. And it's it's a funny story, Chris, as well, because my sales guy came with a project list. And, you know, what will happen first? There was some in California. There was some in the Middle East. And they said this project name, Carrington. <laughs> so I said... There's a place in Manchester called Carrington. <laughs> and he said, yeah, that's where it is, Wayne. All right. I said, all right, okay. This yeah. is about three years ago. just shows you how, how times tell. So, yeah. so, okay, so basically it's a technology. It's called liquid air energy storage. So in very basic terms, you take air, compress it, drop the temperature to around about minus 160 degrees. That liquefies it. You put it in tanks. And then you reverse that process when you need that power through a turbine. So, and I'm being very, you know, holistical in the way I'm explaining it. It's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, but, but you know, that really gives you the capability to cope with the peaks and, and troughs of the requirements of a, of a grid system. So when everybody, you know, watches the news at six o'clock and makes a cup of coffee and there's a spike, then you can deal with that kind of stuff. And it gives you a roundabout, 300 megawatt hours of, of stored power, you know, so it's a 50 megawatt unit, you can store for six hours maybe. So it gives you that flexibility and, and that management of the grid. And I think, you know, it's it's the first of its kind in the world. I mean, I'm from Manchester, you're from Greater Manchester, super proud that it's in our city. Yeah, I think Andy Burnham's super proud when we were chatting about it last week or the week before. And, and, and it's another showcase that, you know, Things do happen first time in Manchester, you know. I mean, there's some of my guys were hoping it was California because obviously it's a bit more sunnier over there. But <laughs> but it's really great for, that we now, you know, it's got to go over the line. There's still more things to do, but, you know, the, everything's moving in the right place. And I think the other thing in business that I'd like to mention is that, you know, these solutions come from strong and clever partnerships. You know, we, you can't do everything. So we've connected with a... A UK company, maybe there'll be a, a, an, e, a, an EPC company from yeah, maybe somewhere 
somewhere in the Middle East or even Europe, maybe a Spanish EPC, where we can partner and, and use all our skill sets to bring this solution forward in Manchester. But the heart of that process is our equipment. And the genius of that equipment is the technology is actually decades old. You're just using it in a different guise. And therefore, you know, the funding's got a little bit more security about it. People believe in it because the equipment's reliable, well-proven. It's just operating in a different environment. Yeah, so... So it's super interesting for Manchester, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And again, that sort of world first bit is uh, yeah. is, is really good and something we should very much be shouting about, I think. And, absolutely. Uh, it's absolutely great. One of the things I just, I mean, obviously that, that is, is mentioned there, it's, it's sort of old technology in inverted commas, obviously re, repurposed and, and put to new use. And obviously at the end of the day, we're still talking uh, when you get on, on to the marine bit, you're still talking big engines, aren't you, where, where they are? Yeah. One of the things that we, and obviously, I mean, you, you also chair the Chambers Engineering and Manufacturing Group, and one of the things we always get into in conversations is around skills and, and uh, yeah. skill shortages and skill yeah. levels and one thing or another. Do you think that because of the new technology that's coming through that, you know, existing skill sets are, are, are at pace with that, that we've got a good supply of people coming into the industry to do that and also the existing workforce as well you know are they having to undergo a big change to keep pace with with either new developments or you know new demands being placed on them yeah i think it's a mixed bag chris i mean where i'm confident you can upskill or transfer the skills you know you know project management it's still going to be a project whether that's you know in, in a new solution kind of business or something else so those skills probably very transferable but the worry for me is the pipeline yeah because you know typically uk we've not been great in our manufacturing base historically you know we were we, we've changed our model for whatever reason we're different to, to germany as a good example but we know that this development's going to need good engineering know-how yeah and, and we need to somehow you know keep looking at attracting people into engineering and i always remember you know the the figures are quite astounding. More than 70% of people that qualify with an engineering degree are not working in, in that sector anymore. They're working in other areas because the, the maths requirement is high or the materials requirement, whatever it might be. So I think, you know, attracting younger people into engineering, retaining them and giving them, you know, worthwhile jobs in that, in that sector is going to be crucial to us. And, and that, for me, is about that supply chain, you know, within humans needs to work as well. And we need to, to change that, you know, methodology that if, you, if you're an engineer, you know, you put on a boiler suit and you go and fix something. Well, actually, no, you, you don't really, you know. And, 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 you know, politicians won't solve this, this crisis, but engineers will. And that's exactly where we need to focus on. So I, I don't buy into the fact that, oh, new technology means less jobs. I don't think that's going to be the fact. I think retraining is something that, people should embrace i think that'll be interesting but the biggest thing is is getting more attraction to young people to see you know engineering as a rewarding career and hopefully we'll have a visitor center at carrington you know something like that will start to inspire you know the, the younger engineers amongst us so i think that's a very positive message isn't it you know and as you said there you know it's going to be you know the engineers that, that solve a lot of these problems yeah. that we're talking about now and i think if you can capture the young people's imagination at that stage and and doing things like you are doing at Carrington, it, it, it should should be a yeah. lot easier in the future. But uh, hopefully, we'll uh, we, we will uh, we will get there. 
Um, a bit of a general question now, and obviously you, you, you work and come into contact with a lot of businesses and, and, and other organisations. Do you think businesses actually get the importance of net zero, both from the point of view of the impact on the environment, but also as well, the potential commercial bit of it as well? Yeah. Do you think that message is, is getting across to businesses now more than it has done in the past? I would say... I think the message is getting on, getting to them more than the past, but I still pe people don't recognise the enormity of the of the issue. You know, if you, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. You know, we're 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 selling environmental solutions, which makes us look at how do we produce our own power, for example, in our production sites, and how do we, you know, run our offices, and how do we, you know, all the way through that supply chain think about greenhouse gases so it's uh, it's typically something it's got to be cradle to grave and it so you can't you know you can't go around selling uh, you know gas efficient solutions and you've got a big old diesel generator you know firing up your production system for example so you know we we also took a long harsh look and, and it, you know there's a commercial issue with that of course you know it, it's gonna gonna cost some but in the long run it's got to be the right solution and, and I think you know again you know, there should be some some funding that, that helps the smaller businesses. And you and I know that in, in Manchester, it's SMEs, isn't it? and, and, you know, they also, everybody's got to play the part. How do we stimulate the smaller companies as well as the big companies to take that ownership? And I think that's, that's going to be the challenge bit. I think people get it, but the enormity of what the change is going to be, that will be something that's still open for me. Of course, there's very ambitious targets about all this, isn't there? You know, the... Um, you know, the internal combustion engines in, in new cars ending from 2030, which is yeah. you know, nine, nine years away, eight years away now. And obviously, yeah. Greater Manchester's got this ambition to be net zero by 2038, which is way in advance of, of, of government targets. What, what one thing do you think needs doing to enable that to happen? Is it just communicating it better? Is it to have real leadership in this or, or, or what? Because we feel there's a danger that we're just ending up, you know, tinkering around the edges a little yeah. bit instead of really making that, that, yeah. that advance forward. I mean, I, I'm totally convinced that technology can make the change. I mean, you know, the electric car is not a dream anymore. I mean, if you just thought about electric cars a few years ago, you'd have said, hey, come on. That's like, you know, I know only from our experience of Volkswagen, 25% of their manufacturing in next year or year after, will be electric vehicles, yeah? So they'll make a massive step change and I'm, this will only accelerate. So I'm, you know, the, the the diesel engines change to a gas engine and there's loads of other things going on. You know, if you look at the impact of graphene maybe in, in the construction industry, ah, it's a huge chance. So for me, it's all about the leadership and people making it happen, yeah? I mean, we, you know, we're moving in a digital age, but it's still going to be people that will drive that change and, and, and do the right thing. So it's, um, you know, we've all, we've all got to do things right, but we've all got to do the right things. And I know I'm playing a bit on words, but, you know, it's about doing the right things now. And I think that for me, it's about political leadership. It's about private sector leadership. It's about public sector leadership because it, it touches all of us. You know, me and you sit, don't we, in many meetings in the, uh, in the chamber and, and there's topics that are, you know, really one sector driven and there's topics that that's nothing to do with this sector. This is across everybody in, in a private life and in a, in a working life. So I think for me, strong leadership is what this, you know, whether we'll hit the targets or not, that's what it'll be based on. Yeah. Okay. And finally, Wayne, yeah. 
bit of a, a, a soul searching one now. Do you feel <laughs> optimistic for the future? Can we do this? Yeah, I mean, I've always been in sales, so I'm an eternal optimist, Chris. You know? <laughs> so uh, it's always uh, always something that's in our mind. I mean, I, I am because I think now, you know, I think the younger generation will put more pressure on this than, uh, than than maybe you know our generation, for example, and the younger generation, they get it to a to a different level, and I think it will need that push to make things happen. But I would say generally, I'm optimistic. I think there's uh, there's a lot of like you say, there's a lot of information around now. People know much more than maybe they did a year ago or two years ago. I think you know COP26, okay, it was in the UK, but probably have the most profile in any previous COP meeting. I would say. Um, so yeah, I am optimistic. Yeah, yeah, good, superb. Wayne, thank you so much uh, for your time. You're an extremely uh, busy person, and, and here, there, and everywhere. So to uh, to get half an hour or so with you and to to talk about this sort of stuff is is an absolute privilege. It really is. So thank you so much for that, uh, and thank you all uh, for joining us today, and hopefully. Uh, enjoying the podcast please look out uh, we normally get your podcast from uh, for others in the series and other things that we produce from the chamber of commerce but Wayne, thank you so much uh, for today. cheers chris good to see you